Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always <laughs> by my good friend, my business partner. <laughs> oh, we laugh, we laugh, we laugh, we laugh. Uh, the dear Jason Johnston Yellen. Hey, Jason. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm I'm intrigued this week because you haven't launched with the Jason three names, and yet mm-hmm. I have been in in online settings mm-hmm. in 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 some different interviews in some different places, and we'll we'll circle back to one of those in the news segment today. But I've I'm seeing comments where people are welcoming Jason three names uh, in these online interviews. Yeah, I just I just wonder, right? It, it's like going to a restaurant. And you go in there knowing you want something, but then you're presented with a menu. And now they're just taking off the menu. And what's on the menu happens to be Jason three names. You know, Dram Golf is, is no longer Dram Galf is no longer on the menu. So how could one choose Dram Galf? Someone did actually put Dram Golf in the comments of another online interview that I did. <laughs> oh, so, the, so they're ordering off menu, I see. Okay. <laughs> it's just hard to say Dramgalf is dead. Long live Dramgalf. Oh, are you going to come back like the White Wizard? <laughs> it's true. Like, could you imagine if this is the grey? Like yes. what this looks like if yes. I come back white, Dramgalf the White? And they'll call you by that name and you'll say, oh, I did go by that name one time, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Oh, to have fun, to have fun. -hmm. Speaking of fun, we have some really, we've got some really fun guests today, and we did a really fun thing for today's episode, something that you and I normally avoid, (laughs) stay away from, try not to include ourselves in because we'll be embarrassed. Other synonyms for avoid. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, distance, <laughs> absolve ourselves of the responsibility. Ooh, ooh, I like that. Absolve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so for our listeners, we have Steve Hawley of, of Westland Distillery along with Matt Hoffman as our guest today. And, and they're doing this thing called the Judgment of Westland, where they, they take four individual single malts around to different shows. There's private events and things like that. And they have people try the four whiskeys. And they're whiskeys from four different countries, one of them being the U.S. And the idea is not can you guess where the whiskeys are from, but can do you agree that they're all in the same playing field, right? They're all... <laughs> yes. Even though Jason and Joshua spend time trying to figure out where they are from. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, sorry, sorry again, Steve. Sorry again. <laughs> but the idea is, you know, can you, can you agree at, at the very least that all of these whiskeys are in the same playing field, you know, that, that they're all quality regardless of their origin, be it the U.S., Scotland, Australia, or what was the other one? India. That's right, India. Yeah, and I think the timing of this, and and you and I were discussing this before we had our time online with Steve and Matt, was we just did our extra extra Mm -hmm. on American single malt whiskey, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hopefully very soon, um, 
earning a designation. And that came on the heels of prior episodes where we spoke to American single malt producers. They talked about their hope for a designation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now here we are jumping into this judgment of Westland, looking at global single malts. And, and the question here is, where does American single malt whiskey line up with other nations' yeah. Yeah. single malt whiskey? I, I think it's a great question to be asking. I, I think it's a great question to, to be asking, and I'm excited to, to hand you know, the, the listeners off to that. But I, I want to reel us in a little bit because there's that component of, of the tasting where, where it is blind, and you and I, and, and we're not alone here, right? The vast majority of people, whiskey drinkers, be they newcomers or people who have been at it for a decade, two decades, three decades, most people are not great at blind tasting. <laughs> and I wanted to pick that apart a little bit because I found that incredibly intriguing, right? You've, mm-hmm. If you go to someone's house and they break out a bottle and let's say it's a Kilhoman and they pour that and you drink it and you nose it and you're, you're, you're picking apart tasting notes, you're talking about this, that, and the other thing. And the whole time, I know when I do this, I'm thinking, oh, that's a great Kilhoman or, oh, I wish this could have been a better Kilhoman if maybe they finished it or, you know, something like this. But the mind is always within, this is a great Kilhoman. I cannot say with any confidence that if that was poured for me blindly, that I would be having the same time, you know, the same experience, I should say. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I would be able to recognize it as a kill home and, or if it were any whiskey, right? I don't know if I could recognize it as such. And so I wanted to see if we can maybe spend five, 10 minutes max on this idea. And, and, and I want to ask you, I realize we, we haven't, we haven't talked about this prior to start recording, but I wonder why you think that is. What, what is, what's the mental block there? I think part of it is nervousness, right? Mm-hmm. Someone says, hands you a glass and says, what's that? You go, well, okay. <laughs> oh gosh. Mm. Like, you know, allow me, allow me this, this painful corollary. Mm-hmm. At the height of Tiger Woods's success, there was a bet that was always offered. Are you going to pick Tiger Woods to win this golf tournament? Tournament, or are you going to pick the field? What do, what do you mean the field? What does that mean? Just for those every golfers. other player. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Essentially, do you think Tiger Woods will win this tournament or not? Now, the field could be sixty other players, a hundred other players. Mm-hmm. But there's only one Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. And people invariably would bet on Tiger Woods, right? <laughs> because yeah. he swayed the odds so far in his favor yeah. that if you picked the field and Tiger won it, well, of course he did, because he was amazing, right? <laughs> and there's a little bit for me when, when someone gives you a dram and says, what is it? Well, there's a whole lot of things it's not. Yeah. And there's only yeah. one thing that it is. Uh, okay. 
and to isolate that exact one thing in the face of all those other things that it's not, yeah, that can be a bit overwhelming. So uh, that was good. That was actually excellent. I thought it was. <laughs> I, I thought you know here's a tenuous AF link. But uh, but you nailed it. But okay, so let's let's look at the other side of it, right? Okay. You, you oh, gotta go trust me, right? You gotta trust me. See if I'm putting sports in front of you. Yeah, I'm I'm somewhat <laughs> confident I can pull it off. <laughs> because again, right, the chances of that going horribly wrong are vast. But I, I felt I felt confident putting sports in front of you, and I knew that you would know who Tiger Woods was. And I know him from his golf, not just from his abuse cases, right? It's, it's fantastic. I, I know him for sports reasons as well. Um, so my, my question to you then is, can you use a similar colol- what is it? Culinary? <laughs> Culinary? <laughs> Co- cholera. Corollary. Colette. Corollary. Corollary. Can you use a, a <laughs> similar corollary? For those anomalies in the world, world, right? Like, like the Ben Weldies, and, and we mentioned him mm-hmm. when when talking mm-hmm. with Steve. You know, mm-hmm. the Ben Weldies of the world, where you put a whiskey mm-hmm. in front of this guy blind, and and we've done this, and I would say eight times out of ten, if not a bit more, he's guessing what they are. Do you remember the old TV show? And, and there may be a reboot now that I don't know about, but there was an old TV show called Name That Tune. Yeah, sure. And and two competitors would go up against the other and there would be a clue and then the one would say to the other, I'll name that tune in four, meaning four notes. Mm. And I always loved the contestants who would say, I'll name that tune in one because you couldn't be beaten, right? Yeah. Nobody could yeah. go better than you <laughs> on I'll name that tune in one. Uh-huh. And Ben Weldy as an example of the type of person who, when they hear a singular note in a whiskey, say that's the note that I find belongs to distillery X. That's the note. That's the the tidying up. And and that's where I have a problem with blind tasting Mm. is it's all messy to me. Right, it's a little bit peaty, but it's a little bit smoky, but it's a little bit fruity, but it's a little bit nutty. Right? Like, why? Why is it all of these things at the same time? Like, mm. ah, and it's it's chaos. And I and I think for someone like a Ben Weldy, Bing, there, I, I got it. Right, I know what that connects to, and and I think that's where sometimes when we play the role of Johnny Big Boss, right. When someone gives you an Ardbeg and you go, oh, yes, I, I always get this white chocolate fattiness on Ardbeg and I'm getting it here, right? Oh, this is this is unmistakably Ardbeg to my mind, yeah. right? Or, or it's or it's a Craigellicky and there's yeah. a sulfury note or a meaty note or sometimes that strawberry note that, mm-hmm. that we discussed with Stephanie McLeod. When you already have the answer, it's easy to be Johnny Big Boss and connect it to a host of things that yeah. you have observed over yep. time experiencing whiskey. But when presented blind, I'm getting both the meaty and the strawberry and the white chocolate and the chipotle and the coal dust. They're all bombarding uh, me all the time. It's, it's just like turning yes. the white noise machine up to 11. Yeah, it's... it's it- in a way, it's back to that menu 
comparison I said before with, mm-hmm. with your names where, you know, mm-hmm. here we are. I'm a vegetarian of 33 years. You're a vegetarian of 20 some odd years. And there was a time where you would go to a restaurant and you would look at the menu and there would be one item and you say, I want that. And now yep. you go in and, and you know, the world's your, well, maybe not oyster because that wouldn't be vegetarian, but the world's your something. The world's your broccoli. And, the world's your tempeh. <laughs> right? And, and so now you're presented with so many things, you, you can't decide. You don't know which way to go. So maybe that's it. Maybe, 100%. Yep. Do you 100%. think that perhaps people going into blind tasting something are potentially being too analytical? And Ben Weldy is able to maybe narrow down his approach where he would say, Springbank does this one thing. I will look for that. I can't find it. Highland Park does this one thing. I will. Look. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, yeah, I, th- I think his is more. I'm getting this one thing. Mm. Now, which distillery has that one thing? Like, as opposed to going in and saying, "Is this a Springbank? Nope. Is this a Highland Park? Nope. Is this a Laphroaig? Nope." But like, kind of almost like a yeah. computer, yeah. just saying like, "No, cross that out. Cross that out. Cross that out." I think his is much more. What do I know about this whiskey? Well, oh, I know this one thing right here. Uh-huh. Now, who does that attach to? And then in attaching it, okay, what else do I know about that distillery? Yeah. And is that in this whiskey? So, so it's a series. I always surmise. It's a wonderful yeah. party trick. So it's a series of if-when uh, queries. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Did I say if-when? Yeah. I meant if-then. I know um, what you meant. Right. I've, I've, I've been with you long enough. Do you... Get what I'm saying though about that. Everything is there all the time because because I, I know we both don't like blind tasting mostly because it just shows up how how garbage we are. But <laughs> but is 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 my issue with it your issue with it? Are you also getting everything all the time, or are you just kind of like oh I really like that fruity quality, but that could belong to a dozen or two dozen or three dozen different distilleries. Where's your issue with blind tasting lie? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that that is it. That while distilleries across the board make unique distillates because of because of oak, because of time in oak, or or what have you, I would say that there's there's certain keynotes that can be tied to a multitude of distilleries. And I would imagine, too, that blind tasting is likely even a bit harder with, with a bourbon or a rye, right? Because you've got such an impact with the wood. That's another story. We're not even, we're not even going to go there. But I think, you know, if, it's a, if you get a smoky whiskey, if you get a, a peated whiskey, I think you can start to narrow things down a little bit, right? Is it coastal? Is it briny? Is it iodiney? Yes or no? If it's yes then we start whittling down a little bit. If it's no, well, then we're looking at Highland peat or something like that, and we whittle it down that way. If it's not peated, you know, I hate to say it, Belvini isn't the only distillery to have a honey note in their whiskey. There are plenty <laughs> other distilleries that yeah. do. Crag and Moore immediately right? comes to yeah, mind. Immediately. Exactly. And, and, and then you have the distilleries like Tam Du and Glenn Farkless and McAllen and Glen Allocky and all of these that predominantly use sherry. And if you're tasting it blind, 
that could present a problem to almost a similar problem to a new charred oak cask, right? Because you've got these two casks that are bringing forth so much, driving so much flavor, I should say. So, yeah, I think I think the waters just get a, a bit muddied, and you're presented with many possibilities, and then the nervousness kicks back in. You're like, geez, I don't want to get this wrong. So I'm, I'm going to pick a route, right? It becomes a choose-your-own-adventure at that point, and you hope you get to the end of the book, but chances are you chose the wrong adventure. So I want to pause our conversation that we're having right here. Go to the audio with Matt and Steve and then pick up this thread because there's some things that we say and do in chart in the tasting that I want to return to with the listener knowing what was said. Perfect. We've been called to duty. Uh, and it's not that D-O-O-D-I-E. It's D-U-T-Y uh, by the good people from Westland Distillery. We have both Steve Hawley, Hawley, H-A-W-L-E-Y, and Matt Hoffman. And basically, we've been invited to make a judgment of Westland. Right? Is this, is this what it's called, the judgment of Westland? That's exactly what it's called, Judgment of Westland, yeah. I'm excited. So so you sent Jason and I each a pack of four different whiskeys, just labeled one, two, three, four. There's a tasting mat in it. That's all, and that's it. So four samples, a tasting mat, and time with you. And now I feel as if I don't know what to do. I feel as if we're at your mercy with these samples. What more do you need than those three things? <laughs> It's Whis- a perfect evening at home, isn't it? Whiskey, mats, and mercy. There you go. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, Joshua and Jason. Jo- Josh, Josh, Joshua. Jo- Joshua. <laughs> it's, uh, it's lovely to be together again, of course, and as always. Um, and thank you. Uh, for playing along with us, The Judgment of Westland. It's a program that we kicked off at the Whiskey Show in London ooh, about a week and a half ago now. And we'll be running similar uh, demonstrations throughout the rest of the year for the next three months. Okay. Uh, people all over the world will be partaking in The Judgment of Westland. Now, what is The Judgment of Westland besides a damn good time? Well... <laughs> You know, as Matt and I and others at the, at the Westland team have experienced for the better part of 10 years, as, as we've all discussed, you know, this year marks 10 years for Westland uh, as a distillery, which is an exciting thing and a big milestone for us. But uh, even to this day, um, it's, uh, we're hard-pressed to go somewhere where we don't hear one of two things. Uh, one is... Why are you making single malt whiskey? You're Americans. You should make bourbon. Um, as as funny as that is to you folks, uh, there are many who legitimately ask us that question. You know, and the quick answer is, well, corn doesn't really grow all that well here in the Pacific Northwest, but it is one of the best barley growing regions in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the easy answer. The second thing that we hear uh, almost every time we 
we leave the doors is you can't or shouldn't be making single malt whiskey because you're not Scottish. Um, that one, feel free to guffaw at. That, that one is certainly laughable. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's, that's honest to goodness. That's, I'd say that's upsetting. Yeah, it is upsetting. Thus, we thought um, maybe we should do something about that to demonstrate to the world that the, the idea that Scotland owns single malt is mm-hmm. antiquated. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk to these folks, uh, when we hear these questions or these statements, we often think of the Judgment of Paris. Are, are you boys familiar with that? In 1976, yes. uh, Stephen Spurrier, not the football coach, uh, but the wine merchant from London, he brought over uh, a number of, at the time, unknown California wines to Paris and he blind tasted them against the vaunted Bordeaux of France. And lo and behold, the California wines ran the table. Mm-hmm. Um, much to the chagrin of, of French people to this day. Um, but it was a, a demonstration that while California wines are different, uh, they are equally valid, right? And that new world approach to wine was something that should be considered regardless of how long it had been in production. Sure. And at Westland, we very much see ourselves the same way. We've purposefully distanced ourselves from the idea of craft from the beginning. We are a single malt whiskey distillery. We are in Seattle. um, And our ambitions have always been to have a voice on the global stage of single malt. And while we aren't trying to replicate Scotch whiskey in Seattle, we do feel that no matter where you're from, if you're making good whiskey, that should be uh, considered uh, equally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Japanese were really the first to prove that great single malt could be made outside of Scotland. That was decades and decades ago. And today, as we all know, uh, there are great single malts being made all over the world. Uh, and guess what? America included now, which... I know you've been talking about quite a bit on the podcast lately. And I was just about to ask you both that question. Could you speak to a mo- for a moment to what we just announced on a recent Extra Extra, that American single malt whiskey is due to have its own designation? What does that mean for Westland and what does it mean for the work you've been doing for the last decade? Yeah, I mean, for us... <laughs> it's it's going to be it's going to be massive. I mean, how often does something like this actually happen in a category and the answer is not very often in some categories the answer is never. And you know, we've played this leading role in it. I mean, kind of by default the fact that we are one of the leading single malt producers, but we also identified, you know, really early that this was something that we needed to have for the for the long run. Uh, for the category's health, for the benefit of consumers, not just in the U.S., but around the world. So the fact that after more than five years of work, it's crazy, we're coming up on six years yep. worth of work on this, to, to be so close uh, with the TTB about to uh, make a ruling that another public comment period, I mean, that'll be a, I mean, it'll be a historic thing, you know. So that, that's going to be major, major, major for us. For everybody at American Single Ball, frankly. Yeah, it, it was one of those things that we said in the extra extras. Joshua and I were discussing it and describing it, and we weren't really conveying the excitement or how important and significant it was. And it's so funny to have just watched you answer that. Your face lit up. 
your cheeks started <laughs> beaming, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. your excitement about that designation is palpable. And, and I think it does speak to the important work that you've done for the last decade and, and many other American single malt producers around you um, have worked diligently. We also made the comment on the podcast about five years, six years of doing this and, and working towards that designation. Like, absolutely remarkable. So, so Mazel, it's exciting news. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, we talk all yeah, the time I mean, about what a privilege it is to be at the origins of an entirely new category in spirits. You know, most people in their careers, if you want to look at this as a job, which is also sometimes laughable, but, you know, not many people get the opportunity to be a part of something like this. So it is palpably exciting, as Jason said. Our cheeks are a, a flutter. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he, here we are as... Um as whiskey lovers watching it from the sidelines and here you are the, the the players on the field the coaches helping to direct it all along with you know what is it seven or eight other founding members and close to 150 distilleries helping to move this along in a six-year process mm -hmm. to come to fruition it's really really a job well done and it's exciting to be witnessing it well, we appreciate that, and we appreciate the support you guys are giving us, too. So, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, fantastic. So, back to the judgment of Westland. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, so, what you have in front of you is four different single malts from four different countries around the world. Uh, this set of drams was selected, curated by Dave Broom, a good friend of yours, and, and mm -hmm. Sam Simmons. Uh, so independently selected. They selected these whiskeys because they thought that, A, they were great drams, um, but also, B, that they were comparable, right? They were comparable mm. uh, in proof. They're all around the same price point. Um, they are all kind of flagship expressions of their distilleries. Um, mm -hmm. And in their minds, they all represent... Uh, the country of origin quite admirably. Uh, there are no tricks here, so um, there's no limited editions here. There's no cast strength stuff. There's no 30-year-old whiskey or anything like that. I was going to ask that. Um, there's no Inferno. No there's inferno. no Inferno, unfortunately, <laughs> for you. Um, Ollie Chilton's glad to so hear that. Yeah. <laughs> we're simply asking you to do what we think people don't do often enough, which is blind taste these whiskeys. So nose through each one, uh, taste through each one. And we're asking you to give them a score of one star through five stars. Um, on our website, thejudgmentofwesson.com, Sam and Dave have uh, opined greatly on the scoring system that they developed here. But I break it down this way. One star should be for a whiskey that has a fault. There's something wrong with this whiskey. Um, hmm. Two stars would be, it's okay, but I wouldn't buy a bottle. Three stars, I really like that, I would buy a bottle. <laughs> Four stars is, I really, really like that. I wish Joshua would buy me two bottles. <laughs> and five stars is, wow, this is exceptional. It's speaking to me, it's telling me a story, it's got great complexity, balance, um, character, right? So that's the way I kind of break down the five stars. Uh, 
it's very important that you guys understand you're not trying to pick a winner here. Mm. Um, if you want to give each of the whiskeys five stars, we'd be thrilled. I know Dave and Sam would be thrilled as well. Um, like we said, we think these are each great trams. Um, if you want to give them all one stars, uh, I think we'd be a little disappointed, <laughs> but um, that's your prerogative. Jo- Jason, if, if that's the guy you want to be today, you know, that's your choice. I don't think I'm ever that guy. Was this a mistake, Steve? I I always wonder if it's a mistake when I get on the phone with these guys, but pretty soon my fears are allayed and I know I'm amongst friends. Joshua, if you if you would, if you would for me, uh, before you start peppering me with questions, um, there's a QR code at the bottom of your tasting mat. Please scan that. That will bring up a page that allows you to score those. If if you uh, do so, your scores will be automatically entered into our system uh, that is updated every day at thejudgmentofwestland.com so people can follow along with the ebbing and flowing of scores from around the world. As I mentioned, we s- kicked this off at the Whiskey Show in London a week, week or so ago, uh, but we'll be running through the end of the year and there'll be blind tastings like this with groups all over the world. It brought me to a My Little Pony fan site. Is that is that correct? Yeah, you've got it. Perfect. Yeah, that's, that's, okay. that's the right okay, one. Good, yep. good, good, good. Uh, I, I so was... the... <laughs> go ahead, Jason. No, no, go ahead. So the question that I had for you, and I, I assume I know the answer to this, seeing as this is an audio podcast, is you're, we can say whatever we want to say. Like if all of a sudden we say, oh my gosh, this smells like... Yamazaki 1984 and, you know, or whatever. Is there anything that you want us to potentially avoid saying? No, not at all, because you're going into this blind. You don't know what's in front of you. I don't. If you want to guess what the whiskeys are, feel free. I'm neither going to confirm nor deny. If you want to guess the countries, feel free. I'm neither going to confirm nor deny. If you want to start asking me questions about specifics of each of those whiskeys, I will politely refuse because I know you're just ploying to (laughs) take a better guess. Um, I think it's really interesting. At Westland, every Wednesday, we do a Whiskey Wednesday where our entire team blind tastes whiskeys. We often taste our own whiskeys. Sometimes we taste other folks' whiskeys. Sometimes we don't even taste whiskey at all. And it's remarkable how challenging it is. Mm. Yep. You guys have had almost every whiskey in the world, I would imagine. Um, sometimes when we're doing our own tastings, we can't even pick out our own whiskeys. Mm. Sometimes we can't even tell if it's made from malt or rye, for instance. So I think people underestimate how difficult and challenging blind tasting is and trying to guess. But what I'd ask you to do before starting to guess is really clear your mind, <laughs> is to go into this without any preconceptions, without the pressure to guess what they are and just evaluate the whiskeys on their own merits. If you want to then give them a score, then we can move on to, you know, your wild guesses and you can embarrass yourself in front of all your fans. That's fine. (laughs) Um, And then at the end, I will tell you not what the whiskeys are, uh, but where the whiskeys come from. Because really what we're trying to demonstrate here is that regardless of origins, if a whiskey demonstrates that it has merit, that it should be considered 
no matter where it's from. And the problem with, you know, when we were at the whiskey show, when you walk up to a booth and there's a big brand, you know exactly what you're walking into. Mm. That immediately colors your impression of the whiskey. Even when you're at home and you have that bottle in front of you on the table, you're bringing some bias knowing what it is, right? And in this setting, you know, all that's out the window and you're just, it's just you and the whiskeys. I really appreciate you saying you're trying to alleviate the pressure. Jess has already texted us. She was at the Judgment of Westland at the whiskey show in London. She was. And got four out of four. Uh, on her blind tasting so she was she was pretty well that's interesting it's uh oh. history maybe uh i remember her saying that she got one or two of them right now all of a sudden she got all four right oh. so she may be doing some selective memory mm. there well you multiply um, for proof so she got two right, right? So. I, I think Sweet Scott, who was also in attendance, mm-hmm. um, was much more modest, perhaps. But Either way, Jason, the stakes for you are very high if you exactly. don't get them all wrong. That's the main takeaway. So, uh, I'm sure I can thoroughly embarrass myself here. Uh, I think I have blind tasting blindness where it's, it's all too easy for all four to taste the same for me, right? I think mm. my color blindness extends to my palate at times like this. Or, just like you did with the counting of elephants, Matt, I, I think I just panic and my taste buds just switch <laughs> off. <laughs> you are sweating a little more than when we started, I can tell. <laughs> it's getting hot in this room. It's getting hot. <sighs> so, uh, you know, again... Nose through each one, taste through each one, and then come back to each one before giving each a score. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the good news is I, I, have, I have clearly identified one. There's one in this group that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt where it's from. <laughs> yeah, big swings. This is it. Yeah. And? <laughs> and? I know. No, let's, I kn- wait, let's wait okay. till the end. Oh, okay. Let's wait yeah. till the end. Yeah. Sorry, well, I, we, don't I, give Jason, we don't want to give Jason the right answer. Yeah, yeah that, was, that's yeah. a good point. I, I was hopeful that one of these came from Westland. That's the only thing I'm hoping for here. Jason is much more entertaining when he appears to be lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just so you're telling my me way through it. You're telling time. me we, yeah, one it. of these is not from Westland. Is what you're, now I'm reading between the lines. Dance, boy, dance. <laughs> <laughs> you are psyching mm. yourself out. <laughs> Live is, in front of us. It's fantastic. This is really, really interesting. There's there's two... Which number are you on, Joshua? Well, so I've tasted through all four. Okay. And there's two within the four that if, you know, gun to my head, I would say they're both from Scotland. But if I understood what you were saying before is there's four whiskeys here representing four different single malt producing countries. Do I have that correct? That's correct. It's one of the few things that I will confirm is that okay. no t- no two whiskeys are from the same country. Uh, I, I can't right now. But again, I can't you, even... you two you two are both getting very waylaid by the task of guessing. Yeah, I, right Put it now. Out of your mind. Right now, I Zen can't even yourself. think. I can't even think what a country is right now. Like that's how <laughs> that's how freaked out I am. 
<laughs> well, Jason, you're in America. There's only one country here that really matters. Thank right? you. So, Thank you. That yeah. helps. That helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I've got a grounding. There's only one country. Okay, there's only one country. So as we proceed and as Jason <laughs> tries desperately to calm himself down, um, I, I'd ask of you this. Most people use that tasting mat and are, and are jotting down tasting notes for each of the whiskeys. I'm actually quite interested and I know Dave and Sam and the team here would be interested in hearing what you guys think of each whiskey. But really, what I'm most interested in is once I reveal to you what countries these whiskeys are from, what are your impressions more broadly of the exercise, right? Mm. Are you surprised? Are you shamed, Jason, by not being able to guess them? <laughs> um, did you like something, especially from a country you didn't expect to? Um, are you happy that you got something right? All of those things are, are really what I'm after here. Yeah, I, to be honest with you, there's nothing that immediately jumps out at me as Scottish. I, I feel like I've got more of a leaning towards what might be Indian, what might be American. Australia, I don't know that well. And so the Australia one, kind of the, the door remains open on that one. But there's... If there's a scotch, well, <laughs> given that there is a scotch in here, it is a, a delicate, fruity, floral scotch that's hiding among these four. Mm. Would, wow. would be something I would say out loud. I will say this. All four of them are really tasty. I, w I wouldn't give any of them a one yeah. or two star I think you've got three as a baseline and then up. Yeah. That's great to hear. Yep. Joshua, which, which one do you think is the American? Because for me, if we've There's no waxed... thinking. I know exactly which one is the American. And <laughs> so the fact have... that you don't know which one is the American is, I, I think it's hurting Steve's feelings, really. So, so, Mine, so, for sure. So yeah. let, me, let me put some leaves on the branches. Yeah. So for us, we've waxed lyrical multiple times about Westland having this chocolatey quality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as I go through the four samples, there's one that clearly has a chocolatey quality. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious which number that is for you, because I know which number it is for me. Are we allowed to see? Why don't we? Do, why don't we do this? Yeah. Why don't we do yeah. this, gentlemen? Yeah, yeah. Put your hand. Put your hand up like that. And put the number behind <laughs> ah. your hand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hold, hold it up. Hold it up. All right, Jason. Yeah, hold it up so we can all see it. Can don't, you? Can you see my hand? Don't curl it behind your neck. <laughs> okay, and then and then reveal it on the count of three. One, two, three. <laughs> It appears, uh, Jason's claw is very hard to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's so, you just see through it. <laughs> but it appears to me that you're both holding up the number three. There we go. Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, well, I yep. guess and this you'll, is... either be, you'll either either be celebrated or uh, derided. Oh, so you're, you're in, not even going to let in us... In moments. You're not even going to let us <laughs> no, off I'm the hook right it. now. No. I'm just going to I'm going to use much too fun for me. Okay. I'm going to okay. use every shred of confidence that a middle-aged white man has which is a and lot. say that that which is a lot that th there are two distilleries I've always said 
I can pick them out of a lineup. Blind, blind tasting. And those have always traditionally been Springbank and Imperial. And I think I've added a third. I think I can, I can call out Westland in a lineup. I'm so confident about number three. And, and uh, just a tiniest shred of fear with this look of concern and these sort of, you know, furrowed eyebrows that you're, that you're throwing me across the Zooms. <laughs> I think it's interesting that you're going out on a limb in two ways. All right. One, one you're presuming mm-hmm. to know mm-hmm. that number three is from the United States. Mm-hmm. And then further, mm-hmm. you're presuming to know that that whiskey from the United States is a Westland whiskey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'd be willing to, to bet a $2 bill on that. I'd put $2 on oh. that. And those are rare. They are so, rare. I have one in my wallet. So in fleshing this out, Joshua, if, if we're mm. both confident that we know the U.S. And, yep. and would even go so far as to name the distillery... Do you do you feel confident knowing one of the other three is Scottish or Indian or uh, Australian? Do, do you have a do you have a confidence on a number two? On a uh, let me say on I, a I, second I, second yeah, identification. Thank you, because I, I could have gone somewhere else. Yeah, I don't want to Remember, I said this is duty, not duty. Mm-hmm, right. So, yes. So do you have a, a second, second identification here on yeah. a country? So if I were to hazard a guess. Mm-hmm. Or to hazard a guess, mm-hmm. I would say that either one or four is a Scotland whiskey, a Scottish whiskey. So I've been leaning towards one being a Scottish whiskey. And that's what I meant earlier when I talked about the delicate floral. Toward which one? Fruity. Um, number, number one, um, I've got a confidence on that you know when i when i tasted number two i was presented with what i think is a hint of peat and it but it was a vegetal style or some sort of vegetality is that a word vital vegality careful careful walk away from the and, cliff edge and, <laughs> but it, it reminded me a little bit of the kind of vegetal smoke or vegetal earthiness that you'd get from like a a Croftingea or something from the Loch Lomond distillery, right? That that just sort of delicate funk. On which number? Two, Due. Interesting. Okay. So for me, the second... But I don't think I've, it is. I've got a warm oatmeal happening on two around some nice fruit salad. Number two, mm. I I think, mm. is India. I tend to get that combination of oatmeal and and fruit salad from from certain Indian whiskeys. I I I'd buy that. In um, in really the only reason why I thought it could potentially be a Scottish whiskey is just because of that sort of delicate vegetal bit. But hearing your explanation, I'm I'm with you. So now it's between one and four, right? Well, and I've I've committed to one being Scotland. I've I've played oh, my hand. To one. Yep, I've played by hand, which for me, and that's what I was alluding to earlier. Not knowing, you know, Australian uh, category overly well, right? 
Mm-hmm. I've I've got a process of elimination has brought me to four being Australian, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's not. I don't think it's Scottish. I don't. I think you're right on number one. Right, number one has that fresh pear drop coming through, which you find so often on this on the Scottish new makes. So yeah, yeah. I'm just left. Process of elimination gives me Australia for number four. Oh boy, I've I've committed. So if I may, I've committed. Uh, Mid tasting to yeah, perhaps yeah. give you guys some marks. Oh boy! Uh, on your on your performance. Oh boy! Unfortunately, oh no. as far as pupils are concerned, um, you, you're not at the head of the class. Not because of your guesses, but because you're focused on guessing. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. jo- Joshua. Yeah, yeah. Joshua, I, I'll I'll put you just a neck ahead of of Jason because you did. Say that you liked all of the whiskeys and that your baseline was three stars, but you've both since veered away from scoring them individually on their own merits mm. and and okay. dived headfirst into the abyss of guessing. So this is what these whiskeys are. This is a valid comment. I I will I will certainly allow you validity on this comment. However, I'm not going to mark down or up because of its region. And I understand mm. with the judgment of Westland and this blind tasting and this anonymity, I understand it's to get people to reverse, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me if you like it first, then tell me where it's from. I, mm-hmm. I don't give a flying fuck where it's from, right? But there, there is that competitive streak in me in this blind tasting where I want to see if I can parse it out. But yeah, I, I thought they were all great. I'm... I'm probably. I'm, I'm getting this. I'm getting this visions of Looney Tunes where you've got the one character on one shoulder and the other character on the other <laughs> shoulder, Jason, and they're they're kind of arguing with each other. It doesn't matter where they're from. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. I see the internal conflict. Meanwhile, uh, I'm just brushing brushing the hair, saying monsters are such interesting people. <laughs> all right, all right, all I'm right. Ready that, to go okay, with so scores like what, what? Like what do you want okay, next? So, I will leave okay, you to be yeah. in charge. Steve. Okay. Well, what do the, you want first, the first thing I need to do is get you, Jason, the mm-hmm. QR code. He can just scan uh, it from my from my Zoom, can't he? Yeah. There you go. Scan that there with your phone, Jason. Okay. And I want you to both get into that web page and start scoring each of the four whiskeys. Again, one okay. star through five stars. Nice to hear that Joshua is is uh, eliminating one and two stars for all, which is great. Again, yeah. we're not talking about eliminations. This is duty. D-U-T-Y. Uh, yes, yeah. D-U-T-Y. Just for the record, I'm also not going lower than three. I thought we were going to... Are we going to announce our scores? You know, your scores are yours right. uh, to broadcast or to keep okay. to yourself. It's really up to you. All right. Okay. For, you, for the sake the of... World to, if you want the world to know... For the sake of our listeners uh, and, and ourselves, so three is... So can you just remind us what the stars are, at least from three up? Yeah. Three would be, I like that whiskey, I'd buy a bottle. Uh, four is I four want stars to is buy two. I really like it. I hope Joshua buys me two bottles and sends it to me with a nice note. Mm. <laughs> and five would be this is an exceptional whiskey of complexity, balance, character. It speaks to me. It tells me a story. I've rounded one of my scores from four and a half to five. 
since there is no half. Yes, oh. please do. There were several that, uh, in some of the in-person tastings that were doing it manually on the tasting mat that insisted on filling in only half a star. <laughs> uh, people gonna people. People gonna people. Okay, my voice has been mm. heard, I'm being told. Okay. Wow. Jason well, has submitted his scores. Joshua? Well, I'm just... Being a little more pensive and studious about it. Well, I, I'm just making sure, right? So I'm going through each one <laughs> once, one last time before I give it the score. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Yeah, I, th- I thought these were four lovely selections. I think the four of them reside lovely together. I think Dave and Sam did very well with curating the selection. If I'm right on the Scottish, I would have wanted more from it. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Mm. That's interesting. Oh, I get... Earlier you were talking about number two gave you just a little bit of the the barnyard or a little bit of the peat going on. And as I just stuck my nose back in it, I just got a distant hint of barnyard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just that slight funk, that vajal, vajal, that one. I walk away Again. from the cliff, not even come back walk from away. the edge. Just leave the cliff now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so my, my voice has been heard. Okay. Well, again, thank you, gentlemen, for thank you, Steve. playing along. And Matt. I hope this has been fun. Uh, but the real fun actually comes with the big reveal, does it? Yeah, not? it'll only be fun if I'm right. If I'm wrong, this will have been a terrible experience, and I'll feel okay, hold horrible. Okay, I just want to make sure I have okay. this in my head. Got it in my head. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you, gentlemen, that neither of you are completely right. Ah, uh, alas. Okay. So I suppose Jess can claim <laughs> that she has you. But again, her recollection of the day might be a little different than mine. Um, but uh, I'm not at all surprised that, that you gentlemen... We're close, even though I told you not to guess, and you proceeded to spend the last 30 minutes obsessively guessing. <laughs> obsessively. On each whisk. Is the perfect choice of words. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, are you ready? Yes. Let me make sure I have the correct I just hope I've got the American set, right. which that's, I do. That's all I hope. So long as I've got the American right, I can sleep tonight. Whiskey number one uh-huh. is from? Hopefully Scotland. Australia. Okay, there you go. Good job. Good start. Wow. Okay. Whiskey number one is from Australia. Mm. Huh. Whiskey number two, mm-hmm. Jason, mm-hmm. is from India. Okay. Well done, you. My well oatmeal done. and well my, my fruit salad held up. Okay. You can tell your wife tonight that you're worthwhile. <laughs> Whiskey number three. Please, please say America, please. Is from the United States. Yes. Oh, thank God. Okay. Thank At least God. the two that we were most convinced about were the two we got right. And you said earlier one and four were interchangeable for you oh, wow. uh, from Scotland. So so four, four, I never announced what I thought four was. Should I announce it before you reveal it? Sure. Because I was I was on the fence with this one because I was convinced that one was Scottish and so my mind went on four to an Irish single malt, but 
taking a final sip. And you know what? I'll stick with it. I'll, I'll stay. I'll say Irish single malt and see how wrong I am. Whiskey number four. Yep. Is from Scotland. <sighs> I meant Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's only Scotland, India, US, and Australia on the website. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it seemed I haven't that read Jason the cheated a bit, looked uh, the website up, and and knew the four he was choosing from. <laughs> oh, see, I was wondering why you were like oh, the, so, the Indian whiskey made sense to me. Oh, interesting. So but the, okay, the, so yeah, you sent us the link, and I clicked on the link weeks ago. Mm, oh, I yeah. did too. I John, just forgot everything I read. Okay, <laughs> okay, I, I did the homework that he was does. given to me. Okay, and then I didn't follow the prompt, so I'm not the perfect student. I know so, that. Joshua came to the tasting completely blind. Okay, and that's how you've been doing Jason, them? Yeah, I, again, I suppose people could look at the website and come a little more informed. Gotcha, but gotcha. most people come completely blind. Gotcha. We've got J- Japan as a popular guess for mm-hmm. some of these drams. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, so, uh, yeah. That, that was fun, wasn't it, guys? That really was. I, I love the fact, and I know you guys have said it previously in other podcasts, but in other episodes of the podcast, but I love the fact that you do this as a team on a weekly basis. I think that's yeah. incredibly smart and really does get out of biases and reshape context and all of that. So, yeah, kudos to you. That was fun. Indeed. That yeah, was, yeah. and... I know you two aren't necessarily the ones that need to be convinced, but your impressions <laughs> on the idea that single malts made from around the world should be equally considered based on their own merits. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think Jason's point was a good one as you were chiding him, and, and rightfully so, uh, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> is, but his point was a good one. Is I, I think that at least he and I are at a point now that we wish other people were at, where the understanding is single malt is made around the world, and around the world it's made in a wonderful way and should be on an even playing field. Yes, Scotland and Ireland have been doing it longer than everybody else, but Japan has showed that it can make fantastic single malt. Israel has shown that. India has shown that. And it's just a matter of educating the public. And I think this is a great way grassroots way of getting people to understand that, to change their preconceived notions of 25-year-old scotch is the best, Yamazaki is the best, etc. Yeah, Yeah. I'll I'll throw in for, for all of our Australian listeners that the sample that I thought was Scottish got my lowest score, which was three stars, would, would buy a bottle, um, got my lowest score, to find out that that was Australian actually surprises me. Because um, it really had the qualities of younger refill bourbon scotch that I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, being a, a proud Scotsman through and through, I was okay giving the lowest score on the sheet to a Scottish whiskey. If I'd known it was Australian, I may have gone a little higher on it. 
right? Give, uh-huh. a, give Australia the little single malt bump on that You're one. demonstrating the bias. Exactly. Here, absolutely, you? yeah. You, you, absolutely. You were so focused on guessing that the, that guessing influenced your scoring. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely, Steve. I've, I've failed is, you this day. This is quite the psychological experiment. Here. It is. It's also yeah, why I hate is. blind tasting, right? Inside <laughs> the mind of... Jason Johnstone Yellen. A scary place to be very, sometimes, a, but very informative. It's a very scary place as I sit here with excrement all over my face. <laughs> Which was before we even popped the first cap. Yes. But anyway. Very much out of context for yeah, it's everyone just supposed but the to three be, of us. It's supposed to be eggs on your face, not excrement. <laughs> but you got it, you got it wrong. <laughs> you can tell I'm still a foreigner in a foreign land. Uh, before we get out of here, Steve, I just want to say congratulations to Westland on the partnership with the Seattle Kraken. Seeing this, ah, this yes. NHL experience and the bottle that's at the distillery. Um, very, very cool. And even having the anchor bars dotted around Seattle uh, is is very cool. And so, you know, congratulations on that partnership. And uh, I wish you the best of luck going forward on that. Last night was the first game. Very exciting. We came up just short. But, I mean, hockey fever is is high mm-hmm. here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's... It's really cool. We ha- we have our own Westland Whiskey Bar in the new Climate Pledge Arena, which is a new billion dollar arena, wow. um, which is super super exciting. And Holy everybody moment. is 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 absolutely gaga over the the commemorative bottling that we've done. And it's a beautiful it's label. A fun, it's absolutely a, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, it's a fun thing to be a part of. I, I didn't follow the arrival of the team that closely, to be perfectly honest. Um, was it a movement or was it an expansion? Expansion. Okay. We are the 32nd team. There you go. Yeah. So are we going to see a story like the Las Vegas Knights? Are you going to rise like to, to think so. prominence in no time at all? Well, hmm. I, I would say Vegas, who... Who will quickly become, if they haven't already, our arch enemies? Uh, we we fell just short by a goal last night, but um, yeah, they proved that an expansion team can can go to the Stanley Cup in their first year. Yeah, uh, we held toe to toe with them last night. They're one of the best teams in the league, so I'd say that's promising. Very yeah, cool. Very cool. I'm excited to to follow along and and see how things shape up. But having Westland, yeah. Behind them, I think is going to be fantastic. Fans of Westland, I think. I think we'll support them. I well. think with, yeah, I think with the leadership of Westland, you know, they can't but help go far, right? Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Josh was excited about all the sports talk. Yeah, well, look I, at him. He's like, like, yes, he's about to keel I'm over here in for his the chair. hockey talk. <laughs> I am, I am slightly, just yeah, like real slightly, real borderline excited, only because. I'm a fan of the underdog anything, and the fact that hockey is is not followed as broadly as baseball and football are, or that you know soccer is not followed as as much as as baseball and football are. I kind of want that to get a bit more notice, and so I want to talk about it a bit more. And so I I do have a little bit of excitement for it, and more, more than anything, I'm just excited to see Westland's name on more things. So. That that's what excites me. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Bef- 
Before we get out of here, Joshua, I gave some broad strokes on the blind tasting experience. Do you have a few thoughts before we wrap it up? Well, I think blind, you don't like blind tastings. Only because I'm terrible at it. If I was great at yeah, it, I would want to do it all the time. Because he's ter- clearly terrified of doing them. <laughs> but I may be worse than you are at it. <laughs> but I think I think the difference is I don't mind being wrong. Mm-hmm. Or I think you have a problem with being wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I like being challenged. I mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, I like going in there with blinders on and and you know, even though S- Steve had said. You know, to, to try not to guess, you know, try to, uh, you know, just go in there with an open mind. It's just so obvious because we have tasted a lot of things that you want to go in there and you want to analyze. And it shows you that even people who have been tasting thousands of whiskeys need that some basic understanding of what's in the glass before they can even begin to guess mm-hmm. for the most mm-hmm. part. Right. And so, yeah, it's that context, that, that need for context. Right. And, and it's almost, it's almost like green lantern in reverse, right? One of the things that I loved about the green lantern as a comic book character is that anyone could be a superhero. So long as they prove to that ring that they have the courage to be that superhero. And so when when we as people who have been drinking, you know, for so long and had so many different whiskeys, everybody's on that on that level playing field. And I really like that. I just really like being there where anyone can guess. And, and we've got some good friends like our friend Ben Weldy. Yep. I've not known anyone who can blind guess better than him. I don't know how he does it. He is more deserving of that Green Lantern whiskey ring than anyone else I know. Beautiful. I find it very interesting how Joshua needed to counterbalance the sports talk with superhero talk. Right? And he, Just to bring his life back into equilibrium a little bit. And he did it so well. So well. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's get out of here on Joshua doing that so well. Thank you so much, Steve. Thanks for sharing Thanks, this guys. with us. Thanks, guys. That was fun. Thanks, for Matt. Thanks to Matt, who was able to join us for, for some period of time. Indeed. And then had yep. to go on to important things. It's been a ton of fun. Cheers, Matt. Cheers. Take care, guys. Sincere thanks to to Steve for the time that he spent with us, to Matt for taking time to come join us when he was able, to Westland for bringing us into this judgment. You know, I really meant what was said in there that as this continues and as they build up those numbers Mm -hmm. uh, of participants... I really want to double back and revisit with Steve because he's the man charting the numbers behind the scenes sure. yep. and see what conclusions he's drawing from all of this. And potentially at that later date, we might get to put a few more leaves on the anonymous branches of mm-hmm. samples one, two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. Now, with that said, before we went into that, yep. I-, I said I wanted to pause our conversation and then re-pick it up after the audio had been shared uh, with our listeners. Now we're in that position. So there's two things that I want to return us to. Okay. Number one, in our introduction, we talked about there being discernible notes that one can identify and 
take to a distillery. So that's part number one. Part number two, in the tasting, you and I had a very brief conversation that one or four could have been Scottish or Australian. Yes, yes, yes. And we did go for one over the other, and it turns out we were wrong in the way that we went with one over the other. And I know Steve gave us into trouble for how we were going about the tasting, and I, and I still appreciate that. But but I, I want to return to that part as well, where if, if you'd simply asked me, do you think you could pick a Scotch and an Australian single malt apart? I think I would have pretty convincingly said yes. And... To have not done that in this context, hmm, interesting. And so I want to, I want to just, uh, when the time comes, I want to double back to that and get your sense of what you were getting with one and four and what kind of left the conversation open. So now I've shared both tasks with you. Okay. One of the two of us has to remember these two things because now we've shared it with the listener as well. Shoot, I just remembered the. You shared you shared one of the two, not both. One of the two. You yeah, shared- that's both. Okay, so one of them was the <laughs> one of them was Australia and Scotch whiskey, right? Why? That's the second. Yeah, yeah, that's the so second confused. point. And then the first point was a singular moment, or a singular note that you attached to a distillery. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, good. Yep. Okay, good. <laughs> so, in bringing us back to that first point, you and I knew going in that the judgment of Westland would probably present a really significant chocolate note yeah. at some point. And, and as I went through the four whiskeys, I got a significant chocolate note. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, ah, yes. But what that's also got me thinking about is, is you and I both received copies of the, the new whiskey book, Nick Morgan's Whiskey Book, yeah, uh, published. Um, I forget who the publisher is, but available through the Whiskey Exchange. Yeah, and so Kinder Singh writes the introduction to it. And very early on in that book, Nick Morgan says barley has nothing to do with flavor, regardless of what some distillers would have you believe. And that's that's a strange point to me. Because you and I have have been around Westland for pretty much a decade, Mm -hmm. right? We have spent countless hours talking to Matt Hoffman, who is deep, deep in the camp of barley equals flavor. And then you and I knew that their use of chocolate malt delivers a chocolatey quality in their whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. So... I have things to say about this. So firstly, I will say when it comes to Westland, don't forget, they don't always use their five malt mash bill. Quite often, they're producing just the Washington pale malt. And I would say with both distillates, even though I can identify the chocolate malt one more than I can the the Washington pale malt, that their, their yeast note comes through for me, that sort of foam bananas kind of note that I get mm. coming mm-hmm. through with Westland. So... So with Westland, with their five malt blend, I think that their their spirit, their distillate, their whiskeys are are unmispa- yeah, unmistakable for me. However, the the pale malt might be different. 
But if I look for those foam banana notes or that foam banana note, then maybe I'll find it there. Anyway, my issue with Dr. Nick Morgan's comment, and I do have to say, I, I absolutely adore Dr. Nick. He's, 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 a, he's a lovely guy. He's, he's opinionated. He has opinions, but I think he's earned his opinions. However, a statement that barley does not offer up flavor, I think it was too broad a statement. I think we need to recognize that distilleries like Westland, like Westward, like Copperworks, and, and a few others are somewhat anomalous when it comes to the larger single malt whiskey producing countries slash distilleries around the world because what they're doing to the barley to affect flavor is different than what Dr. Nick is talking about. What Dr. Nick is saying is barley is barley is barley. You're going to get some yield out of it. It may be greater, it may be lesser. If there are flavor differences, it's going to be nominal and will likely be matured out. However, what he's not taking into consideration is different roasting levels. And that's where Westland comes into play. So I think if if he had if he had included the idea of various roasting levels or included the idea let me say this again. Let me say it better. I think if he came at it from a brewer's perspective, he would have a very different statement. And that's the thing. Westland, Westward, Copperworks, all of these, they're coming at producing whiskey from a brewer's perspective first. And he's making that statement from a whiskey producer's perspective first. And so I just don't think the two jibe perfectly. But it's it's interesting though. I, I really like the points that you raise there, but it also seems to dismiss what we've heard from Dr. Bill Lumsden, right? Where Bill has explored different barleys. And and then they've also got Signet with the chocolate malt yep. going on. But but even just different barleys have been part of the experience. Different yeasts, you know, in the wild yeast that he talked about in, in one of our episodes. So for even for Scotch whiskey, there are still those who will say barley does make a difference. But if you recall, one of the reasons, and I think that was the oh jeez, I forget I forget which Glenmorangie it was a uh, two sale. I think it was the two sale. No, that was the wild yeast one. I forget which which Glenmorangie it was, but if you recall, he'd said, we only let that get to be nine years of age because at that point I could see all of the differences were starting to be matured out. Mm. And so, right, and that's and that's first and second fill bourbon, right? especially with second fill. It's really, the wood isn't doing a lot. It's being gentle on that gentle spirit. And if you have a gentle wood that, after only nine years, starts aging out that nuance, then how significant is it? And so I guess the question is, should the statement better be said that different barley varieties won't present significant flavor changes? In Nick Morgan's defense, I do think that there is a potential for barley variety to affect flavor. 
I don't necessarily believe in barley terroir affecting flavor, right? We, when we were at Westland, and and they were they, you know, Matt and and Steve and and Shane and all them were were showing us the new make from different barley varieties, obsidian, talisman, you know, a few others, and you could taste the difference. Mm-hmm. That was surprising to me. When I tasted the, you know, the, the Marc Renier, the Waterford new make and the different new makes there, and you can taste the difference, you know, he not only changed up the barley style, but the barley farm. And I think if you took the farm out of the equation, that, you know, the barley variety would still change the flavor. You know, and in tasting those, you could see the difference. You could see that barley is affecting flavor. But then we take the example of 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 Bill Lumsden with with his whiskeys, and he's using different barleys and different yeasts, and he says, you know what? I can't mature this for too long because all of the differences age out. And so, mm-hmm. so what I'm I think what we're seeing here is that barley type will affect flavor from a nuanced standpoint, not necessarily nothing staggering. And I would potentially agree with Dr. Nick. I I don't believe in terroir when it comes to barley, but I do believe in barley variety potentially affecting flavor up into a point. Yeah, now you've got me intrigued about seeing the ages at which this this will run through. And I'm thinking about, you know, Copperworks using different barley and I'm thinking about Westland using different barley. And obviously we get to taste those young. There's also experiments going on in Scotland with different barley where we've tasted those as new make spirit. You just mentioned Waterford a second ago. I'm very intrigued now to see how long do those differences stay in there? At what point does the wood top all those barley nuances that you're identifying. I like it. I like it. Let's let's put a bow on, on that first point that, that we were making there. Move into the second point, which is we were moving between one and four in our particular tasting, mm-hmm. where we were pretty confident that three was at least American single malt if not Westland. And and number two was Indian. And I talked about that kind of oatmeal and that kind of fruit cocktail combination that I get in Indian single malts. What were you getting between one and four? And and did you ever think you'd be vacillating between, is this a Scottish single malt or an Australian single malt? Well, I found it really surprising that, that you were surprised of the similarities because... I think both of us approached one and four from the perspective of <laughs> two people who have had little, little to almost no experience with Australian single malts. We've had our Star Wars, right? We've had our, our Fanny Bays that, uh, that Holly side one has, has introduced mm. to us. Uh, we've had backwoods, but what we've had from backwoods are, are rye, not single malt. And Sullivan's so, Cove back in the day. It's Sullivan's Cove, but back in the day. <laughs> and and I guess what I would say is I'm surprised that there aren't 
as big, or at least in this case, there wasn't that big a difference between the Australian single malt coming off as potentially a Scottish single malt and the Scottish single malt, of course, being a Scottish single malt. Like you, you when you were when you were setting things up, you seemed like surprised. Like how could how could we ever confuse these two? And I think it's quite easy. We just don't have the experience to not confuse them. Yeah, I guess partly for me, it is on the back of maturation, and it is thinking about a climate that has a a, a spring, a summer, an, an autumn that looks more like Kentucky. It has extreme temperatures. You know, like we've talked to Lee about buns getting popped right across his, his <laughs> warehouse space, mm-hmm. right? And and so I was expecting there to be more wood presence, right? And and I, I, I don't mean this in the pejorative, but, but a more aggressive oakiness mm. than we could ever hope to produce in Scotland, right? Our climate yeah. never allows us to get aggressive oak on there. So it's why virgin oak, you know, those experiments that we tasted back in the day from someone like Glenn Murray, why virgin oak can still work in Scotland. Yeah. You know, take take that to a, a, a headier climate, a warmer climate, and you're going to be pulling splinters out of your tongue. And so so I, I was, I was, I was just expecting a more woody profile from something out of Australia. But I do want to get back to what you said a moment ago, which is we really don't know anything about the flavours, the textures of Australian single malt. So I really was just working on an assumption. I think that was the point of my surprise was, wow, I came in here with an assumption that is just being laid bare right now. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. Otherwise, I wouldn't have come in with that assumption. So that, that was the surprise for me. Yeah. You know, I will say my experience, well, our experience with Star Ward tended to take us outside of the style that we were tasting during our time with, with Steve because Star Ward is those big, huge wine casks, right? Big flavors yep. that yep. take you yep. outside, you know, what you would potentially confuse as a Scotch whiskey, take you outside of that flavor category. And then on top of that, you know, Lark with their unusual peat sometimes you know that would take mm-hmm, us outside mm-hmm. like this one it, if we ever hear what the distillery is it it will be really interesting to follow them and see what they're doing and see if if it differs are they looking to go outside of the style of scotch whiskey or are they looking to stay within that particular profile because well, Scotch whiskey is the origin, right? That's that's who you want to emulate if you want a certain segment of drinkers. So it'll be interesting to to find that out. I think that's that's the word for me coming out of the experience is interesting. And as alluded to in our chat with Steve, I'm interested and I'm intrigued hmm. to see what does it mean to be Australian single malt? I think you just hit it out of the park there. What wood is being used yeah. in Australia and what's that doing to the Australian spirit? Even is it possible to talk about an Australian spirit any more than it's possible to talk about a Scottish spirit or an American spirit? 
and what? and the the final thing that I'll say, and then I and then I think we should wrap this up and maybe go to the news, is in speaking with Lee at Backwoods and talking about those those shifts in season where you have an aggressive summer and then an incredibly gentle winter, I think Australian distilleries have the luxury of having very seasonal whiskeys, having, you know, what's your summer release? Sure going to taste different than your winter release, depending mm. on what's going on w- with the wood. And, mm. and so that would be interesting to know as well, if, if that's a thing. Um, you know, if, if Australians even talk about that aspect of... Yeah, but, but I think it equips us with questions to ask as we're yeah, yeah, unearthing, better, yeah, as we're discovering, yeah. right? And, and I think that's, that's my takeaway from this experience is world single malt in which I include scotch, not separate oh. scotch, right? World single malt production and maturation in bottling is really interesting yeah. and well worth following and well worth comparing and contrasting. And at the end of the day, everything we've said up until now, put to the side, it's clear that all of these countries are making quality single malts, right? And all it's doing is providing the consumer with more flavors, different flavors, and I hope that Westland is successful with this, that they're able to get the word out. I hope, too, that, you know, if American single malt officially becomes a category, they can help bring that story, you know, this particular story forward to say, hey, look, yes, the Scots have been doing it. Yes, the Japan has been doing it. We could do it, too. And guess what? So can those in India. So can those in Israel. So can those in Taiwan, and et cetera, et cetera. So, but as with anything... It's education, 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 and education. Not forgetting. Education. Well done. Yeah. I could keep going. I am, I'm purposely zippering my mouth because I could keep talking on this. So yeah. let's press on. Okay. On to the news. Wake up the paper boy. Wake up, you wee fuck. Wake up. History, history. Read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Oh, Jason, we have some serious news to bring to you. And, you know, we, we, we made a promise to our listeners that we would bring on the wonderful Elijah Ammon to talk about retail release number eight, which, we did. Uh, which should be hitting U.S. shores before October is out. Let's cross fingers. Let's cross toes. Who knows? It could be October 2023, but let's hope that's not the case. Um, but but I'm I'm sad slash sorry slash other words to report that we don't have Elijah today. That's just it's we, just you and me. We do not. But he sent word that he has a wonderful Instagram series mm-hmm. called Banter About the Barrel, and. You've been on and I've been on and, and you and I discussed a, a few bottlings from, from retail re- US retail release number seven. 
Anthony Levinson from Roma was on talking mm-hmm. about the the Ardmore selection for the Roma store in New York City. And Christopher Grombeck of The Barrel Thief in Seattle has been on to talk about the cask that he selected mm-hmm. for Barrel Thief. You and I will be on there with Elijah discussing US retail release number eight. And that's hosted by Single Cast Nation. Yes. On Instagram. Instagram. Live. With yep. Elijah at the helm for the US retail releases. Mm-hmm. And soon we will have Jess Lomas at the helm for the rest of the world releases. And you and I and Elijah will take turns jumping on there to to sit and chat with Jess as well. And, and I like this, in creating this series, Elijah is determined to keep it to the length, individual episodes, to the length of a tight extra extra. So 30 to 35 minutes. Well, I took him to 42 minutes. Yes, uh, yes, you did. I took him to 37, so. <laughs> <laughs> and bet him that mine would be shorter than yours, and I was right. Yeah, yours is shorter than mine. That is true. <laughs> so, uh, with that said, yes, retail release number eight has some serious treats in there. And yes, it does. I, I wanted to start going over that. And we actually have, what is it, seven? Yeah, we've got seven different, well, we've got six whiskeys, and then we have a rum to talk about. There we go. Are you ready? I more or less am. <laughs> so the first one I want to talk about, even though it says Single Cast Nation on it, it's it's a bottling that doesn't contain just the one cask. It's a marriage of six casks. And this was uh, our second collaboration with the Whiskey of Life film. And so we're just calling this one lovingly Wolf Island. It's a non-age stated whiskey. It's, we will say it's all ex-bourbon cast matured. We can't talk about what distillery it came from. Uh, We cannot. We we cannot. We cannot and we will not. That one has uh, 1,600 bottles in the lot. Mm-hmm. Bottled at 48.8% alcohol, all first fill bourbon, really bright, crisp, citrusy, front porch type whiskey, if you know what I mean. Some of the listeners may have actually seen a picture of the bottle on the Single Cast Nation Instagram or in a Single Cast Nation Instagram story. So if you're not already following Single Cast Nation on Instagram, please do. We are at, at Single Cast Nation. So, so that's yeah. whiskey number one. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful bottling with a really fun label and gave us another opportunity to collaborate with the Water of Life film. You know, Greg, Trevor, um, Alphonse, the rest of the team, mm-hmm. just tons of fun working with them, collaborating with them. And I'm excited to get this really good, accessible retail bottling onto shelves. Celebrate that collaboration. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. The next one is actually the second Daluane that we've bottled for retail. The, the first one, it was listed as undisclosed, and that's simply because, that's simply because we, we weren't reading the contract properly. We could have said this was distilled at the Daluane distillery, but we didn't. We called it undisclosed at the time. That previous one was a 28-year-old. 
This one is a glorious nine-year-old from uh, Firstville Bourbon Hogshead. And it's just, what would you say jumped out about this one for you? Spicy. Spicy. It's got a really wonderful spicy presence to it. Yeah. Sometimes ex-sherry maturation will deliver some spiciness to my palate. Mm -hmm. Knowing that this is first fill bourbon maturation, but then with the spiciness from the from the spirit, it's really cool. And and I think an unbelievable little drinker. Oh yeah. Hashtag please drink responsibly. And that one's fifty-five point six percent alcohol. The next one, this one has a really cool story to it because there's some cask finishing provenance going on here. So the next one's a 15-year-old Inchfad. Inchfad is a peated spirit from the Loch Lomond distillery. And the whiskey spent 15 years of its life in a bourbon hoggy and then was transferred into, you're going to love this, it was transferred into the Grand Cru Bordeaux Barrique that previously held our eight-year-old Pandaren. And we only put it in that cask just just for a few months, I think around eight months or so, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. And what's beautiful about it is that Inchfad gives you that sort of warm biscuits, burnt around the edge kind of smoke going on. But then you have that delicate, fruity quality coming from the Pandaren, coming from from that Grand Cru so you have a patisserie, you've got baking spices, you've got smoke, you've got that sort of thing going on, balanced out by sweet berry fruity quality. Well, and, and not to make too much about the connection, but this is the first time we've ever taken a cask from an online single cask nation release mm. and used it in any way, shape or form with a US retail release. And it was a nice kind of a, a nice little attempt there to to bring those two families together. Yeah, bridge the gap um, a little bit. Right. And as we say all the time, it, it's fun to have ideas. It's fun to play around with experiments. If the flavors didn't work and it wasn't a good whiskey, it would be a failure, yeah. regardless <laughs> of how we brought families together. But the fact that it tastes absolutely delicious and we have the added yeah. bonus of bringing the online and the retail together here. I, I yeah. really like that aspect of it. And I want to be honest here. You know, we we bought this inch fad because it was a good enough whiskey. It was mm-hmm. a good whiskey. But I don't think it was great. And, you know, I forget who told me this before. Maybe it was David Stirk. But he said, no one finishes a perfect whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And so it was obvious that it needed a little something, kind of similar to our our 28-year-old canvas that we put in the Muscatel Brewerique for about five, six months. It was Mm -hmm. a good little drinker that needed a little something. This inch fad was a good little drinker, but it needed a little something. And I'm remembering the Tamdu that was finished in an American rye quarter cask. Yeah, yeah. Again... Good little whiskey, little oomph, little extra dimension. A little little pick-me-up at the end of the day. The next one, and this one's kind of interesting. Uh, In retail release number seven, we released a Linkwood from a refill sherry butt. Mm -hmm. And this time around, we're we're doing another Linkwood, another 12-year-old, 
but this time around, it's finished in a ruby port barrique. And that was finished for about a year. And where the 12-year-old Linkwood and Sherry, that was full, full-term full Sherry, it was refill. So you got to experience mm-hmm. the the spirit more than you did the cask, which which we loved. In this case, I think the port is, is making itself known, but in a, a really nice, really pretty way. Well, and I think two points that I've raised uh, plenty of times on the podcast is, number one, I really like Linkwood. I really like yeah. whiskey from the Linkwood distillery. I don't tend to like port maturation or port finishing. And this Linkwood has me really excited. It delivers a red berry fruitiness through the port that is really appealing, mm. really attractive, and I think integrates with the Linkwood spirit. Great. The, and, and one of the things that I always say is I tend to find ruby, uh, I tend to find port maturation or port finishing is a bit like oil and water where the scotch separates from the port yeah. influence. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm getting port. Yeah, I'm getting scotch, but I'm not really getting them Together. integrated. They're yeah. not really talking yeah. to each other. This one, I thought the qualities the port brought to the experience worked beautifully with the whiskey at the heart of the experience. I think that's going to be a great 12-year-old to put out there for people. Yeah, I, I agreed. And and I I agree. The integration was great. It, it, it was like they joined Schwartz's. I really... That's exactly it. it. That, it was Schwartz's that I was thinking in my head. I see your Schwartz is as big. Oh no, we've we've already established that yours is is shorter than mine. So then we have uh, uh, another another Diageo distillery. This time a, a Ben Rennes. I can't begin to explain how excited I am for Ben Rennes. Not just for me, uh, and even though this is coming to the U.S., um, so he won't be able to get a bottle. Uh, for our good friend Graham Usher, who is a massive Ben Rennes fan. And this one's uh, a 10-year-old from a second-fill bourbon barrel. So you've got, you know, Ben Rennes is a naturally fruity whiskey, and the, the that barrel sort of, sort of steps back a little bit and really lets that fruit shine in a 100%. gorgeous way. Yeah. 100%. Yep. 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 I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, then we have a grain. This time, this is our second Gervin. We released a 10-year-old Gervin back in 2017, and what was interesting is around that time, maybe a, a little maybe a little before that, we had purchased a Gervin cask that was a really good price, right? The spirit was there, but the wood was doing nothing. And so we took that Gervin and put it into a first fill bourbon barrel for close to four years. So it went from a bourbon from one bourbon barrel to another <laughs> bourbon barrel, but it went from refill to first fill. Because it needed that. It really needed that work. So after four years and then tasting it year over year over year, it yeah. finally got to the point where it came into its own in, in a special way, I think. The final bottling for retail release number eight is our, well, is it a pre? Is it a, a press? We don't know how to pronounce it. It's it's a rum from I almost said it's a rum from Brasilia. 
You, you should. I, I think they'd love that. Hell, really quickly, did I ever tell you my? Uh, this was a joke that I heard back when uh, W was president. I'm, I'm not being political here. I'm just saying this is the, this is the time when that joke came around, and 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 it goes, uh, you know, his chief of staff goes goes into the Oval Office, and uh, and he says, Mr. President, Mr. President, I've got something some very horrible news to share with you. He said there was a, there was a small plane crash and uh, five Brazilians uh, actually died while trying to land, you know, such and such an airport. And the president put his, his head, his, his head in his hands and just started openly weeping, just uncontrollably openly weeping to the point where the chief, you know, the chief of staff said, you know, sir, I, I, this is troubling. I, I understand that. I just didn't expect, you know, how much emotion would come from you. He said, it's, it's terrible. I mean, but I just want to be certain. How many is a Brazilian? One million, two billion, <laughs> three trillion. <laughs> oh, my God. It could have been any president, right? And someone who actually knows how to tell a joke could have made you laugh without explaining the joke to you. But I'm not that person. Anyway, 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 anyway. The last bottling is our Epri. It's a Brazilian rum, 10 years old. And, and some people, those in the rum world would say, geez, isn't that potentially a cachaça? Because cachaça is a rum-like spirit coming out of Brasilia. And no, this this was sold to us as a rum. This is a rum. And what I like about this one is it's like drinking Christmas wreaths and balsam and fir candles. You know, it's just it smells of Christmas time, of, you know, that holiday special time. Yeah, I I remember when we first tasted this one and it was the first time I'd ever thought about sipping a rum at Christmas. <laughs> like, that's not a thing, right? Have it on the beach in a, you know, a daiquiri or a piña colada. Yeah. And so the, the thought of a nice warm fire, maybe some roasted chestnuts mm. and a Brazilian rum. That was a new wrinkle, but the flavour profile on this is killer. Gosh, if the theme of today's episode is just taste it, and see if you like it, that yeah, Brazilian right. rum fits yeah. into that so yeah. perfectly. Yeah, I think the only thing that I would suggest is one need not get a Brazilian to buy this Brazilian rum. Not in the winter, no, not in the winter. No, you want to keep it nice and warm, nice and warm. Yeah, yeah. However, for our friends down there, they're just coming into the warmer months, so is that how maybe you they do want to get like, our hey, friends, down, friends there. down there. I think that's how it works. So yeah, Brazilian rum. Who knew? Who knew? Oh, so excited! So excited for the for this rum. So so there you go. That's release retail release number eight. Now included in that are some single cask exclusives that we've done for shops and uh, for bars, like you had mentioned, Barrel Thief, and in earlier. This year, or was it later last year? I don't know how time works anymore. We've already established that. You know, we did the exclusive for Roma in New York. And so my message to our listeners, if you, ha- if you have a shop or something like that, and you're interested in your own single cast exclusive, 
Elijah would be your guy. You could reach out to us, questions at One Nation Under Whiskey, and, and we'll connect you with Elijah. I'll also say we've, we've worked with certain clubs as well, and we can do club picks, but those don't go on retail shelves. Those will go through our online portal, and, and we can work with you that way. Yeah, somewhat interestingly, we have a single cask blended scotch going to the wine exchange. And Elijah is working on speaking with them for banter about the barrel. There you go. So there'll be a chance Perfect. to talk about that. How nice. Cool. Have fun. And then what about online? How oh. up to date are we oh, announcing creepers. online releases? Creepers, creepers, we're not. Okay, I'm I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to do this like pew, 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 but I don't know how pew, 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 that'll work. So let's see. So we got a few things going on. Uh, so we have a few things going on. Firstly, there's a charitable bottling that we're doing with Salway Bitterroot Group, and that's uh, Croft and Gaia, 16-year-old. Croft and Gaia, by the way, um, is another peated spirit from the Loch Lomond Distillery. It's a bit more aggressive than the Inch Fad, but, you know, again, it's that, yes. But at 16 years of age, just as we talked about barley flavors potentially maturing out, yeah. that slightly more aggressive peat has really softened at 16 years of age. Yeah. It's a real delicate one. And actually, in our next episode... We'll have a conversation with Alyssa Pearson from the Selway Bitterroot yes. Frank Church oh, Foundation. Oh, yeah, nice. Good. Yep, that's great. Which will include a tasting. The next one we have is a 10-year-old Kalila. And the day that will go on sale the day after this episode goes live. And that 10-year-old Kalila is a... Um, uh, from a bourbon hogshead, second fill, and actually on the same day, I was going to save this this one for last, but because it's going on sale at the same time as the Kalila, we have our third in what we call our woodcut series. Uh, you may remember we did a thirty-year-old Bomore two years ago, a thirty-year-old Imperial last year, and then this year is a twenty-eight-year-old from a from a famous Isla Distillery. We can't mention what distillery it came from, but uh, we lovingly call this the Laughing Frog. We do indeed. And, uh, reflected that, on the label. <laughs> reflected on the label. And and that whiskey is 28 years old, like I said, but all 28 years in that bourbon uh, in that bourbon cask. So, so that's really exciting. And that one's 51.3%. So even at close to 30 years of age, it retained some good, good ABV. Yep. There's another rum... This one, um, oh, I can't wait for this one. And actually, we're going to have the producer on the podcast soon. Producer slash owner, I think, of the distillery, um, Stephen Maggery, uh, who owns the Beanley Distillery out of Australia. So this is a 14-year-old rum bottled at 65.1% alcohol. So this is big, hefty, but glorious, right? Beanley's that that lovely sort of pineapple upside down cake kind of real fruity element going on not funky but fruity and delightful yeah and really happy that this fits within the spirit of collaboration rubric as well and so really really exciting flavors but then also a really exciting relationship as well and as we've talked earlier about australian single malt 
here we are looking at Australian rum. How fun is that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really good point there. There are more to be discussed, but these are the four that are that are coming here and now. But the things that we are bringing out for a single cast nation online, hopefully all of it before the year is done, some really exciting stuff, including some Japanese whiskey that I am just over the moon about. Not too many details there. If you're on our Facebook, you know, the single cast nation members only Facebook page. There has been discussion around this. Um, and if you're not on that, that means maybe you're not a Single Cast Nation member. So what you do is you go to singlecastnation.com. You sign up for a membership. We're not a, we're not a whiskey club. I know as I'm saying these words, it may sound as if we're a whiskey club. Obviously, we're not a whiskey club. We are an independent bottler. But we have a sort of Facebook group membership and you and you join that and when you sign up to the website that gives you access to our online exclusives still from an independent bottler not a club so just just like to clarify those things what else do we have jason before we uh make like a fetus and head out we should really if if that's us putting the news segment to bed mm-hmm. we should probably break out the message from our friend Ian Bruce that we couldn't access in the last episode because Facebook shit the bed. And that, my friend, is a computing term. Oh, yeah, STB. STB. (laughs) The message from Ian, uh, the dear Mr. Bruce, um, it came in later September, and there's a lot here. So he says, it's been a fantastic journey. And by the way, we've been having a bit of a back and forth on Facebook, so you're sort of catching the next message he sent, right? (laughs) He says, it's been a fantastic journey, and I'm glad I've started from the beginning to get the full flavor. So he's talking about listening to the podcast and catching up to the podcast. And then he says, like any good listener, smart listener, says, have I missed the Worm Tub episode? And then he says, currently on the spousal takeover. That was our last year Thanksgiving episode. Oh, there, that, that positions him perfectly in my mind. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he, he said, uh, you guys took a brave step there talking to your wives, which he's, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> he says, I've got two quick queries. One, storing my whiskey in an old cask made into a bar, would this affect my juice? those open in any way? Okay, that's question one. Question two, thinking about worm tubs versus condenser type pipe work, we read and hear it's the difference between the copper contact, but I was thinking that if the inner dimension of a pipe is larger than, is larger, then would it be the additional oxygen slash air that causes new spirit to get those sulfurous or meaty notes. And we can talk about that a little bit here. I don't want to talk about it too much because we do have this worm tub episode in the works. And then finally he says, I also managed to finally buy some samples uh, of SCN juice at the weekend, drank two of the samples, which were fantastic. So thanks also for the great drams. They certainly made me go hydraulic. Then that's in quotes. Um, in other words, the liquid really moved me. Cheers, Ian. <laughs> I like that. Like when something really gets you, you're like, oh, 
This is making me go hydraulic. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> so, all right. So, so question number one. If you have a cask, and I've seen this before, right? Where people, yeah. they take an empty cask and they, they build it into a whiskey shelf. And will that affect his whiskey? I didn't think the inside was left untreated. I thought one would have put some kind of polymer or resin over the inside so that every time you reach in, say your knuckles brush the inside of the stave, you're not getting char on your knuckles, right? You're, you're turning it into furniture and mm-hmm. cleaning it up a bit. So, so are you saying that if the inside weren't finished, if it were still charred oak... And this is what I, this is, I was sort of thinking this, that there's a potential that that oak may want to, you know, have that whiskey evaporate out the bottle a bit quicker than it normally would. I, I don't think that it would. I think. Yeah, event- no, that's, that's yeah. not what I was thinking. No. Okay. So what were you thinking? I was just thinking it would get your hands dirty if it was untreated. Yeah, no, he's not asking how it would affect your hands. He's asking how it would affect the whiskey. I don't think it would do anything. I don't think it would do anything either. I Except mean, forget your bottles dirty. They get your bottles dirty. Okay. But, but, here, but here's the thing. So is, is, it, is it one of those barrels that has a hinge put in it and then you actually pull open half of the barrel to then reveal the internal shelves? Or is it sitting on its end and they've pulled off the head of it and he's just reaching inside onto maybe some shelving that runs around and he's just putting mm. bottles on that. Like either either way, you're, I don't think you're going to have conditions as such that is going to pull liquid from glass through oak. It's not like, like the, the reason the oak is doing its job in maturation is because the spirit is in contact mm-hmm. with the oak yeah. and the pores and that's when it's a sponge. I don't think just sitting there, the the oak staves are going to pull liquid or vapors from a glass bottle through a cork, through oak pores. What if it was a situation where you pull the, the head right? If your if your cask is 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 sitting on one end, and the top end you take the top off, but what's inside it's filled with water. And the bottles are just floating in, so you're bobbing for bottles. Do you think that that would affect and, it? And labels are just peeling off and floating <laughs> to the top of the water. And when you pull out a bottle, you've really no idea what's in it. But there's something kind of murky, something like it's murky. added to the yeah. whiskey in there. Yeah. I think that could do something. I like that bobbing for yeah, bottles. What if, what, if he just, what if he just threw corked, like open, but corked bottles just into his swimming pool? And just stored them there. Like, what would that do? I, well, you know, I closed my pool, so I can't even test the theory. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to drop your kids at the pool any any second? At no, no point gotta, in the winter are you yeah. going to drop your kids at the no, pool? No, no. Well, I've got to get more towels, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, speaking of, of that, uh, number two, question number two. His question here is the, the difference between warm tubs... And condensers, right? Uh, shell and tube condensers. And why is it that warm tubs give you that heavier, more sulfurous, those meaty notes where a shell and tube condenser 
typically does not. And I feel as if we've put part of a conversation into a previous episode that talked about this, where the reason why you're getting those sulfury slash meaty notes is as the spirit is going through the copper tubes, the problem is you can't clean those worm tubs. You, you can't clean that tube. And so bacteria is collecting within the copper tube, protecting the spirit that's coming through from touching too much copper. So it's condensing down from a temperature standpoint, but it's not cleaning the spirit further from a spirit to copper contact standpoint. And so a lot of those heavier notes that often come through, that, come, that often come out due to extended copper contact through a shell and tube condenser or a brand new worm tub, that kind of goes away after a while. And so now you've developed a, a distillery characteristic of meaty notes, heavy notes, sulfury notes. Yeah, I didn't think about there being bacteria in there. It would be interesting to take a look at that because of the strength of alcohol that passes through it. That strength is reducing as it passes through. So it'd be interesting to see if there is a later part of the worm that does have bacterial content or or whether the, there's enough alcohol. I don't think there would still be enough alcohol. But yeah. absolutely the... The quantity of copper contact in shell and tube is removing impurities. Yeah. And the, the joy of that worm tub is with reduced copper contact, you're simply not removing impurities, the, or, or as many. So you are getting those quote-unquote off notes. Oh, they're which, spot on. Everyone right. spot on. Right, the sulfur, <laughs> the meat, the ramen, the chicken noodle soup, yeah, sometimes yeah. the strawberries, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I know you're, you're still working your way through it, Ian, but the, the Stephanie McLeod episode where we do talk about the worm tubs at Craigellachie in searching for that um, strawberries and cream note that has been found in certain mm. Craigellic. It's completely unexpected. Mm. But she had a hypothesis for why it was the case. She did. And, you know, I'm thinking about my word bacteria, and I don't think that's likely the best word. I think a better word might be a film, right? Mm. A, f a film is mm. built within the, the copper mm. tubes. And it's similar to, you know, what happened with Klein Leash maybe eight, ten years ago, where they said, you know what, we need to clean our apparatus, clean the spirit safe out and, and some other bits and bobs. And when they did that, they found the spirit wasn't waxy anymore. Mm. And that those in that all that internal piping, all that pipe work needed spirit to keep running through it, running through it, running through it until a film had built again to allow that slight impurity to boost the, the, the mouthfeel, the texture of the Kleinleash spirit. Mm. Yeah, they were like, my understanding is they were really kicked themselves in the butts for cleaning, for cleaning that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fits with the mythology of the industry as well, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, sure does. Oh, you have to hammer in the same den on the still, blah, blah, blah. You know, if, you, if you've always used wooden washbacks, you've got to continue using them. If you make a move over to stainless steel, blah, blah, blah. So there's, there's so many places. And, and we will hear in a, in a future episode with Georgie Crawford, uh, formerly of Lagavulin and now with Elixir Distillers, the idea of there being so many different places in the production of mm-hmm. spirit where something can change on you. You know, it's, I don't want to say more on that there, but as you start to think about Clinlish, right? Like, could you have replaced that part and not had a change? Could you have replaced that part and not had a change? What if you changed that part over there? Would that have made a change? Like, right. you and start to go a wee bit doolally when you start to really deconstruct the entire process. And this brings us full circle back to does different barley varieties or where they are grown make that big a difference? And and that's a good you bring up a really good point with what Georgie was saying. One thing a bit off and it changes things in potentially in aggressive ways. So there's so many variables and uh right, this is the fun thing about about it, you know, hearing these these, you know, apocryphal stories and, and, you know, about whiskey and production and, oh, you know, we accidentally filled the casks at 73% alcohol rather than 63 and that changed, you know, hearing all this stuff, that makes it fun for me. Well, look at the new Ardbeg that's coming, right? Where a part broke down and they couldn't empty the washbacks and so they actually fermented some Ardbeg wash for Two weeks, three weeks. Yeah, just open fermentation. Yeah. R- open fermentation, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like and and of course, because marketing is always primo, there's never going to be another art bag like this one. <laughs> but you can taste this, you know, moment in time when something went off the rails. Like, do I want to buy that? A hundred percent, yes. <laughs> Like, do I want to taste that? hundred percent, yes. Of course, of course, of course. Right, and and it's <laughs> and then you put it up with your Arbeg Ten, and you put it next to your Wee Beastie, and you put it up against your Nambe. Like this, this is the entirety of the whiskey industry and whiskey production. Is you're telling me that something? Oh, the 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 Stillman wore his red socks instead of his blue socks on that yeah and that just went into a single cask that you're selling to me hell yeah I'll buy that yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Did, did the socks on the day make a difference like you you can really get into the minutia like yeah. our Amanda Beckwith conversation right what if you pull from that cask at six a.m. when you first walk in after a cooler night than pulling from that cask at six p.m. after a warmer day with a breeze running through the warehouse. <laughs> I only you can drink, grow bananas. I only drink blue sock Klein leash that was pulled from cask in February, specific specifically February twenty nine at five fifty nine p.m. Well, the the good news is blue socks are known to be waxier than red socks, so <laughs> that makes sense. I can understand why and that's part of it. Sexier. <laughs> I'll hear nothing against red socks, my man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, Jason, this has been an absolute treat. Oh, you know what? Before I talk about how much of a treat it is, there are ways in which you can reach out to us if you have a question like Ian Bruce did or like Ariel Green, who just sent in an email recently and 
Jeez, there was maybe one or two others that we need to get to. They emailed us, right? So we need to get to those emails. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, if you have a question, if you have a query, if you want to talk about whiskeys making you hydraulic, reach out to us, questions <laughs> at One Nation Under Whiskey. Uh, you can tweet at us, at One Nation Whiskey. You can send us an Instagram message, at One Nation Under Whiskey. Or you could do, again, like what Woody and Bruce did, go to Facebook.com, go to the search bar, look for One Nation Under Whiskey, send us a private message. And whiskey, of course, when it comes to us, is, is never spelt with the E. So W-H-I-S-K-Y. And now I can officially say it has been a blast. Because you know what, Jason? Hmm. It's been a blast. I'm sure it has been for you. All right, it hasn't been a blast for you? Oh, also for me. Uh But I'm sure it has been for you. Okay, we've spent the whole episode saying I'm shorter than you are, but here we are. No, it's it's been real. It's been thoroughly good, very enjoyable. I tell you what, I tell you what I enjoyed. Yeah, go ahead. All of it equally. Oh, oh, I like that. That's, you know, that's a diplomat's answer. And uh, as the as the resident diplomat, I tip my hat to you, sir. Well done. Well done. Uh, cheers, man. You know what I have in my head? That song, uh, that I Will Survive song now. Uh, Something, 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 I was petrified. (laughs) First I was afraid I was petrified. First I was afraid. I thought I could never live without you by by my my side. side. But I I grew strong, I learned how to get along, and so I'm back from outer space. I walked in. From outer space? uh, Yeah, it's not what I always sing. I don't know if it's the right lyric or not. And then... um, you know, find you here with that look upon your face. face yes, is, is the next. Yeah, look upon your face. Awesome. We have we have the cake version, and so we sing the cake version a lot. Ah, okay, all right. You don't you don't do the the traditional version. Can you name her? Yeah, it's uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, fuck, yeah, it's yeah. it's uh-huh. Glor- uh-huh. Gloria something uh-huh. or other, right? It's Gloria. Uh-huh. It is. Uh-huh. Uh, Gloria Estefan. Uh-huh. No, it's not Gloria Estefan. Uh-huh. Gloria Steenburgen. No, it's uh, Gloria G L O R I A. Gloria G L O R I A. Now you're stalling. I don't. I don't remember her last name. Gloria Gaynor. Gaynor. That's that's it. Gloria Gaynor. I figured a musician would never forget that last name. Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation. Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today and I'm joined as always. <laughs>